The reading for today is taken from Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, and can be found on page 977 of the Church Bible. Um, the hospitality team will bring Bibles around if you put up your hand. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for those who come to me and hear my words and put them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it, because it was well built. But those who hear my words and do not put them into practice are like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Henry, can we pray for you? Yes, thank you. Father, thank you for Henry. Lord, we love him, and thank you for the words that he's bringing us now. We open our hearts to receive all that you want to give us. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tom. Well done for making it today. A bit wild out there, isn't it? The uh, parable, we're continuing our series in the, the Jesus on the level, the, the, the equivalent of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke's gospel, um, and the parable of the wise and foolish builders, I think, could equally be called the parable of the day the storm arrived. That would be today, wouldn't it? Um, because uh, if you have lived life for anything more than a few years, uh, you will know that storms arrive in our lives, don't they? I mean, no one's exempt. Uh, and uh, it poses the question, how stable are you? How uh, secure are you? How resilient are you for when the storms arrive, which they surely will? And I think through this this parable, Jesus is teaching two fundamental principles, which both strike at the very heart of our lives, uh, of what it is to be a Christian, perhaps even what it is to be human. I don't know about you, but um, I often go through periods where I get a bit moody and a bit grumpy um, with the Lord, uh, and I have a bit of a whinge with him, you know, that I I have to work uh, too hard. I'm not paid enough. I'm tired. Uh, I keep getting these health issues. Actually, I do keep getting these health issues. I had a, a strained Achilles, uh, and that um, got better, praise God. And the moment it was better, I got a strained wrist. I've still got a strained wrist. What's that about? What is that about, Lord? <laughs> anyway, um, uh, you know, I have a bit of a whinge. I'm not having enough fun. I'm not happy about this or that. And the majority of these whinges 
at least in my case, are about superficial things. You know, they're about all the things on the surface of my life, my work, my time, my money, my leisure, my possessions. So if you are anything like me, this parable is for you. The first fundamental principle is that it's not what's on the surface that counts. It's not the outward trappings of life that are the real life. It's what's in our hearts that's life. It's what, what, what's hidden, what's under the surface, which is what's private in the secret place, in our heart. That's what counts. However, the opposite is what we get peddled by the world. And this is everywhere. Advertising constantly is telling us that we need certain things or certain experiences. Celebrity culture holds up an idealized a form of life where beautiful people who are fabulously rich live wonderful lives in a kind of perfection. Of course, it's an illusion. We know it's an illusion, but it's an illusion we buy into so often. Now, the Bible tells a different story. It's not what's on the outside that matters at all. It's what's on the inside. Now, in the parable, there are two builders and there are two houses. And the two houses probably look exactly the same. So you go, go to the estate agent and, and, and the two houses are on the market. They look the same. They're the same price. They've got the same number of rooms. They've got the same standard of decoration. They've got the same fitted kitchen. They've got the same bathroom. They're the same. It really doesn't matter, does it, which one you pick? Well, it does matter. It does matter because one is built on a firm foundation and the other is built on sand. But you can't see that. It's under the surface. It's hidden. But it has an incredible impact on how those houses will serve their purpose. Now, of course, the houses represent our lives. Our lives can look great on the surface. They can have all the trappings of happiness and success. But dig down, dig down under the surface. What's there? What are your eyes on? Your eyes on what's around us, what, what's going on. Let me tell you a story of um, uh, three people. They're called Sam, Jesse, and Dave. It comes from 1 Samuel 16. 
Uh, and um, Sam is going to go to uh, Jesse's house because God has told him that one of Jesse's kids, one of his sons, is going to be king. And he arrives at Jesse's house and Horace, Jesse has eight sons. How the heck are you going to know which is the one? So they're lined up in order. The eldest comes first and he's tall. He's good looking. He's well dressed. He has all the trappings of happiness and success. And Sam immediately thinks, this is the one. I mean, look at him. It's got to be him. You know, he's, he's just perfect for a king. And, and God says this to Sam. Do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, it turned out that God had chosen not the first son, not the second or the third or the fourth. He'd chosen the eighth. So unlikely was it that God would choose, the, choose that son, the little kid, the kid that all the rest of the brothers you know, were just annoyed with. They'd sent him out to look after the sheep. He wasn't even there. Jesse hadn't even thought to call him in. His name was Dave. <laughs> we know him as King David, the greatest of all the kings of Israel. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. It's what's on your heart that counts. Take a look at these two houses. Which of these two houses do you think is the better house? Be careful before you answer that. On the surface, it is obvious. One of them is a fabulous mansion in Bishop's Avenue, which was recently on the market for £18 million. The other is on a social housing estate, is a terraced house on a social housing estate. But it's not on the, what's on the surface that counts. Which of these two houses would be the one where you're more likely to encounter Jesus? Wouldn't that make it the better house? Do you see how we have been corrupted by the superficial culture of our world? Now, for the record, the, the house there on the left, the fabulous mansion, is number nine Bishop's Avenue, where Salman Rushdie was holed up for 10 years. So that became like a prison for him. He couldn't go out because of a fatwa that had been issued by the Iranian uh, Ayatollah. I bet when he arrived, he thought, whoa, this is all right. You know, swimming pool out the back, you know, got everything. 
after two weeks of saying, oh, I wish I could go. Oh, 10 years. He was holed up in that house. The house on the right, you are likely to meet Jesus there because that's where Helen Shannon uh, lives on Strawberry Vale. Which is the better house? Now, how do we apply this to our lives? Let me ask you, what have you been focusing on in your life recently? Um, You've been focusing on your career, you know, having a good career, making a good salary, on your possessions, your home, your holidays, your car, or your pleasure, or your happiness. You've been focusing on that. Or have you been focusing on your inner life, your prayer and fasting, your worship? reading of God's word, your relationship with God, the things that goes on in the secret place, or indeed your relationship with others, what goes on behind closed doors, where you are secretly serving or secretly giving or going the extra mile. You see, it's not what's on the outside that counts it's what's in your heart the second principle that i think uh, jesus is teaching through this parable is um, we are called to pursue after god not to pursue after happiness now this is tricky Because the pursuit of happiness is the highest authority in our society. This is what uh, Ed Shaw says in his excellent book, The Plausibility Problem. Happiness is what adverts promise if we buy their products. It's what politicians will deliver if we give them our vote. It's what the new love of our life offers if we ditch the old. It's why human beings do most things to get today. We want to be happy. And all our decisions are driven by what will get us the most happiness soonest and perhaps cheapest. The cult of happiness is quite simply the strongest religion of our day. We must have it. It's our human right. It's our ultimate goal. It's what we worship. Let's look back at the parable. There's an element of this story in this parable that comes across slightly more clearly in Matthew's version of it in Matthew 7. Uh, When the wise and the foolish builders had built their respected houses, it says in Matthew's version, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the houses. Now the little phrase, the streams rose, tells us something. Don't forget that Jesus was a builder. So he's telling this parable about his own profession. 
And as a result, uh, it's very well informed. He knew what he was talking about. Now, in Judea, the rainfall is seasonal. Um, And in summer, the rivers and streams dry up. And so if you're looking for a building plot in summer, there are all sorts of uh, plots that look ideal. They're flat, they're sheltered, but actually they are sandy river beds. In contrast, the solid ground is much more difficult to build on. It's sloping, it's exposed, it's rocky, it's really difficult job. You have to dig down. Now, the foolish builder, he wants a quick fix. Uh, he wants an easy life. wants a simple job. Do research. <laughs> Think long term. Oh, come on. Life's too short for that. Now, we know that it was a not uncommon problem for people to be building houses in these dried-up riverbeds. It was an issue that they were grappling with. Foolish builders. This foolish builder, his impetuous, reckless, I-can-have-it-all attitude. It came crashing down around him, didn't it? We have our modern equivalent. Why is it that we in this country have built so many houses on floodplains? Well, I'll tell you why. It's easier. It's more accessible. There's plenty of it. It's easier to put in services and roads. It's an easy, quick fix. And yet, we know that down the line, it causes immense problems. It's an astonishing example of short-term thinking. You know, maybe they just hadn't read Jesus' parable. You see, we want happiness and we want it now. And of course, all this is based on us thinking that we know best. We know what we want. I think that's extraordinary arrogance to think that we know better than God about what's best for us. In contrast, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. If you look down the line, it's quite easy to see that the pursuit of happiness usually in the long term leads to very great unhappiness. Because happiness is not something that we are called to pursue at all. In fact, happiness is not really attained by pursuing after it. It Rather, it is a byproduct of pursuing other things, of 
pursuing God's kingdom of God's righteousness, God's lordship over our life, God as king in our hearts, directing and leading what we do, a life organized round God's purposes for us, that inner life, the things of the heart that you don't see on the surface. In the short term, of course, that can bring hardship. In the short term, fasting is ghastly. It brings difficulty. Sometimes it brings genuine pain and suffering. But in the long term, we would be aligning our lives to God's purposes for us. And that is bound to, in the long term, bring us the most glorious satisfaction, happiness, and fulfillment. It's bound to in the long term. This is what uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, this is how he put it. When we want to be something other than the thing God wants us to be, we must be wanting what in fact will not make us happy. Those divine demands, in fact, marshal us where we should want to go if we knew what we wanted. It's so easy to give in to the clamor of our age, to go off and pursue after all sorts of pleasures that are fleeting. In fact, they're worse than fleeting. They can positively be destructive to our relationship with God and pursuing after his purposes in our lives. And we know, we, don't we know this, don't we? I know it. You know, we live in a very affluent, very comfortable uh, part of the world. I mean, Finchley's nice, isn't it? Leafy Finchley. It's a nice part of the world. And we live in what is arguably the most exciting city in the world. And many of us, myself included, have many comforts and luxuries around us. And our hedonistic culture has a voracious appetite for every conceivable indulgence. And our carnal hearts join in with that, saying, I want more and more and more. A better phone, a new car, more dining out, more and better holidays, better job, a better career. And for those of us who are fasting, actually, that is just a tiny little correction, isn't it? In that sort of false world that we're all swept along in. A tiny little bit of redressing the balance. Perhaps Jesus is saying to you this morning what he said to Martha. You are concerned with many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one 
And of course, what he was referring to, the one thing was sitting at Jesus' feet, just sitting at his feet. Ultimately, this is about what is on your heart, what is on my heart. What is the focus of your identity? What are your foundations? Our identity is not about what clothes we wear, what music we listen to, what car we drive, where we live. That's all surface stuff. Temporary, short term. Our identity is not even about whether we are black or white, whether we are same-sex attracted and perhaps struggling with that, or heterosexual and perhaps struggling with that, or whether we are single or married. Because even those things, they're important, but even those things are really on the surface. They pale in significance besides the wonder of knowing Jesus in our heart. Are you rooted in Christ? Or actually, are you standing on on something that is a bit sandy? and might turn out to be a riverbed. Some of us are faltering. We've built on sand. And we, we feel it shifting beneath us. Do you want to know the secret of resilience? What's the standard Sunday school answer to everything? You've got the answer. The secret of resilience is Jesus. I'm serious. The secret of resilience is Jesus. It's it's not a healthy work-life balance. I'm sure that helps. But actually, it's having our lives founded on Christ rather than all this stuff which is just shifting sands. Some of us probably need to come back to Jesus this morning. Shall we stand together? Oh, Jesus, we are sorry when we have built on sand, when we have focused our lives on anything and everything apart from you. And this morning, we want to come back to you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We want to found our lives on you. We want want to reject the, uh, the gloss that the world would put on all sorts of superficial tosh. And come back to you. We recognize that it's the 
the inner life, the secret things, the heart things that are the true reality. And we want you to put you at the center of our lives. Please come, Lord. Please renew us again.